What is author marketing mastery through optimization, you ask? I'm going to tell you. It's the best way for us authors to make a living selling our books. Are you tired of hearing gurus tell you your book is only good enough to be a lead magnet for services? Are you tired of feeling like you have to be a slave to social media and then frustrated when that time doesn't actually help you sell books? I was too, until I found Ammo. Ammo is the only program that reliably produces results and it works for anyone. Is it hard work? You bet. Do you have to overcome some of your own prejudices to make Ammo work for you? Absolutely. But rather than being another program that rah-rah shish-goom-bahs tries to get you emotionally excited only to offer unclear methods, Ammo shows you how to design profitable ads step-by-step through a unique, never-before-tested formula. The founder, Steve Piper, is a data-loving, formula-driven author who escaped the kingdom of Amazon to build a platform for himself where he sold directly to his readers and built a loyal following. With Ammo, you know who's reading your books, how to contact them, and what they want to read next. If you've always been frustrated with Amazon's wall of mystery, of not knowing who's reading your books, of losing 50 to 70% of the hard-earned money you make through book sales, Ammo solves all of those problems by putting you in the driver's seat and showing you how to fulfill your books directly to your readerships. Click the link in the show notes to learn more. My guest on today's episode is Joanna Penn. Yes, the Joanna Penn. Uh, She has an enormous podcast about marketing and writing that really focuses on the plight of the self-published author. She's been doing it for a long time, and I was a huge fan of the work that she did. I couldn't believe she accepted my invite to be a guest on the show, and I looked forward to it with all the zeal that you could imagine. I did a ton of research to try to be prepared to take the conversation anywhere it might go, but I neglected to send her any pre-made questions. I've never done that in the two years that I've podcasted. I've always just kind of jumped into things. There's been a few notable exceptions where I've had folks ask me for kind of a deeper dive into what the conversation might be about. And I would typically say, we talk about marketing, um, and I'll probably talk about your books, but I really try to go just real easy and see where the conversation takes us. That's always been my style. Uh, In this case, when Joanna reached out and asked me for some questions so she could prepare, I sent her four questions that I knew would frame the conversation because I wanted her to feel very comfortable. And I apologized for not being more sensitive to her needs. It's something that I think I want to change in the future and make sure that guests feel comfortable coming on. I own that and that's my responsibility. Within moments of being on the conversation, Joanna had a question about my choice to have my books currently on Kindle Unlimited as well as selling them through my store. And so I explained to her why I was doing what I was doing. Uh, It has been my belief up to this point that you're allowed to sell through your Shopify store because Shopify is not reporting to Nielsen BookScan. I still need to do the work to find out if that's true. But 
uh, she was very adamant that I was causing severe damage to the literary community by doing that and even causing confusion for other authors who might then do like I do. And I agree with her that as a podcaster, we have the utmost responsibility to our listeners to give you the best information we can. I hope you know about me that I am still relatively new to the self-publishing world. I'm not 100% all in on self-publishing in every situation, but I do try to give you the truth. And whenever I tell you something that I'm not sure about, I try to commit to get the right answers and to follow back up on things and research. And I never encourage you to do as Jody does, but just to know that I'm out here grinding, trying to do this so that if you're in a similar place, you're a little bit newer, you're looking for somebody who might be trying different things, this is a a safe podcast for you to listen to and get some ideas and brainstorm. I had a a difficult time. I was feeling a little bit defensive following the beginning of the conversation. She did ask me not to include anything uh, in that part of the conversation in the ultimate uh, final cut for this podcast because she wasn't aware that we were podcasting. Um, And so I respectfully am cutting everything until I say say, welcome to the show. So that's where we're going to dive into the conversation. But I do want to let you know that I ended up cutting this conversation short because with every question, I felt condescended to, talked down to, uh, and it felt so combative to me and I knew I was emotionally losing my head as we were going. And so I completely failed to bring you a great conversation, but I still wanted to deliver this to you such as it is because I believe there's something in it for you. And I I hope that you're able to make decisions for yourself about where I failed you as my listener, where I failed the community by getting emotional about it. Um, And I hope maybe there's a nugget in here for you that you'll really enjoy, that you can take something away from this conversation that will inspire you to find more readers and to continue to grow in your journey. So thank you very much for listening. Uh, Again, my apologies for not bringing you the very best Please enjoy my conversation with Joanna Penn. This is TRBM Ammo Edition. If you're a published author and want to make a living writing books and selling them to avid readers, you've come to the right place. There's simply no program that's more successful at driving readers towards the books you've written. So the only thing you have to worry about is writing a great book. And the system with enamel takes care of the rest. Thanks for listening to this conversation. All righty. Well, we are started. Welcome to the show. Um, I guess my first question for you is uh, there's a lot of discussion around um, going wide or deep. And I'm not talking about publishing wide in this case. I'm talking about having a wide uh, offering of books on the market versus trying to go deep with a single book. Um, my own experience is I came up with a, a master's of fine arts in creative writing and everybody around me always prized writing the book, um, writing the next great American novel or, or whatever it might be, some huge impact that you're going to have with a book. 
it's only been in the last couple of years that I've really started to wrestle with the advice of write as much as possible because more books promote the the previous books and you need fewer readers to read all of your books than you would need readers to read a book. Can you talk to me a little bit about your philosophy on that? And if you see any conflict or tension in in those two uh, processes? Mm, sure. Well, uh, thanks for having me on the show uh, for a start. And yeah, I think that this totally depends on the author, the book, the series, the business plan. So there is no one answer. And this is probably one of the biggest problems with the author community and any other community is that we come up with rules or things that work for someone that don't work for someone else. So for example, I had uh, the author Dory Clark on my show talking um, about her book, um, was it The Long Game, which is a fantastic book. And she said something on that interview. She said, I'm going to spend the next five years promoting this book, marketing this book. And I was like, well, it's a fantastic book. And that message definitely has enough. You know, she was developing um, all kinds of products and talks and things around that one book. And so I think certainly for nonfiction authors, that can be a very valid business model. Um, For authors uh, of fiction, I, I think that the likely, I mean, the best selling best loved authors in the world have many books so if you just look at the you know the top authors in the world Stephen King James Patterson Nora Roberts uh, people like that they have so many books they are Mm. prolific and so I think this is partly a personality thing so I'm someone like this you know coming up to 45 books now it's not a case necessarily of well it's just a case of I don't want to stop. I can't stop. I always want Mm. to be writing more books. And I mean, this show is the reluctant book marketer. And so I think mostly authors who like writing (laughs) would be much more interested in writing more books than spending years marketing the same book because we have so many ideas. So yeah, I think that you can do either thing, but this is probably where authors need to be honest about, is it worth writing another book in a series when Mm. that series hasn't hit? very well or do you need do you need to finish that series because you know you've said it's a seven book series you're only on book three and you need to finish that series or do you need to start another series so I think there's so many questions also I believe this has come out of the rapid release era of um, self-publishing and we are not in that model anymore you know we're not Mm -hmm. in a scarcity model we don't have to be there is more than enough for anyone to read so it's gonna as I said it depends on the personality depends on the series the book the business plan uh, and everything Um, yeah I mean so I guess it's it's what you want to create do you feel like uh, rapid release is based on scarcity? I, I always felt like the, uh, people who talked about rapid release, and I've never been a fan of that model because I, I do feel like that way uh, undervalues editing and, and process. But do you feel like rapid release is about algorithm as much as it is scarcity? Or do you really think that it was born out of a scarcity mentality of like there's not enough good literature out there? Uh, just just a comment on the undervaluing editing. Rapid release doesn't mean rapid production, although some people do that. There are many authors who will sit on books, will wait till they've written three. Some will take years to write three books and then release them together. But um, yeah, I mean, the rapid release uh, release model is from the sort of algorithm of, you know, if you have a book out every 30 days, you can go up the charts in the 
you know, the new in books type of mm-hmm. thing on, on Amazon and people will find you and they'll pre-order the next one. And and that, again, it suits a very specific type of book. It's not something I've ever done either, so I can't particularly yeah. talk intelligently ab- about it. But it's very much, uh, there was a time uh, I started self-publishing in, in the time, you know, 2008, 2009, there was hardly anything in the Kindle store. Yeah. So people were putting out books very fast, mainly authors who got their entire back list back from gotcha. traditional publishing so authors who might have got 50 books back um mm. they obviously they could put out loads and people were desperate for books to read um that yeah. it may still be true in some genres but for most people uh mm-hmm. it's more about creating the books you want to in the world and yeah, yeah building a business model around that that context helps me a little bit because um, I I did not start publishing on Amazon. And so I'm, I'm aware of kind of some of the changes, but wasn't really thinking of it the full length of time that that Kindle has been around and and pumping content into there. Certainly at that point, the more, the better. Um, I, I do definitely know people who used to be able to just run a very simple ad on Kindle and really see book sales skyrocket. Mm. Um, and at this point, uh, that's one area that I think applies to this part of the discussion is running an ad on on Amazon right now, if you don't have a good list of books is probably a perilous idea. Would you agree? I mean, for your Uh, finances anyways. uh, No, again, it's entirely due. It's entirely based on the book. Uh, So I would agree with that, say for my um, uh, free thriller, (laughs) a free thriller, which is not Mm -hmm. in KU. Uh, is not worth advertising using Amazon ads. And I have one of those, Stone of Fire. Mm. So I'm not going to spend money on that. However, I have a midlife travel memoir called Pilgrimage, which um, is based on walking the the Camino de Santiago and a number of Mm. other pilgrimages. It is, as I said, it's a midlife memoir and it has a very small target audience. And there are not too many people spending money on that kind of book, but that to me is worth putting an ad on because okay. it is such a small niche. So again, there are no rules for right. what this comes down to. It's very much around finding where you want to write and then looking at ways to optimize that. Um, I mean, obviously, I'm never going to hit the number one on any store with a midlife pilgrimage memoir, but it is one of those books that will just sell and sell and sell because there are always people who want that kind of thing. And it's not not the same as, say, I don't know, vampire science fiction that goes up and down in popularity. So uh, let's talk about uh, Wild by Cheryl Strayed, because I think that that's a midlife pilgrimage memoir that hit number one and stayed there for a really long time. And it's hugely applicable to this piece of the conversation, wide versus deep, writing a ton of books so that you have more net to catch readers versus I I cannot tell you how she hit the zeitgeist. I can't tell you how all of that happened. Well, well, Uh, I, I can. I can. Okay. She she's a famous uh, columnist. She'd been writing columns for women in mm-hmm. the New York Times, I think, or don't quote me on that. But a very yeah. well known columnist. So she had a huge platform. Yeah. Um, it is a very good book. I've read that book, but and it, yeah, it's not too. a pilgrim. It's not a pilgrimage book. It's it's a, okay. a long walk. Um, but essentially, she had a platform. So I guess in terms of marketing, this is a very good example of if you have a platform, you can sell books to 
an audience. Mm-hmm. And so for my pilgrimage book, I did a Kickstarter and raised, I guess, the equivalent of about 33,000 US dollars. Mm-hmm. So, which is far beyond what anyone would have given me at a traditional publisher, for example. Uh, and that was pre-publication. So I think, again, it, it, it just depends. Every single book is different and every sure. author has to figure out what they want to do around their book marketing. Is it ever worth trying to go deep with a single book if you don't have a huge brand? Is it ever worth uh, taking a risk on a single book and trying to make a splash with it if nobody knows your name? Well, I think there's a difference between making a splash and considering it a long-term process. Mm -hmm. So as, as an independent author, I don't really look at splash as in that implies one big jump it yeah. implies the launch model which is a traditional publishing model mm-hmm. um whereas a self-published author independent author might think well i am thinking okay so i made that money from pilgrimage on my kickstarter and now maybe i make let's say i make five thousand dollars a year mm-hmm. for the next 30 years great it's not a splash by anyone's um, yeah. you know, understanding, but it certainly adds to my living. So in that case, I mean, that is a uh, an example of one book that would will go on a long time. So yeah, again, if you have if you have an if you have a book that you want to invest everything in, there's certainly no issue in doing that. But you would have to have, I think, a, a big marketing plan around that or a long term plan for that. Is that something you want to do? That's something I wrestle with. Uh, I, I've written a, a good number of books. My master's thesis was a kind of um, fictionally braided memoir. So there's there's more fact in the book than there is fiction. Um, and any of the fiction is, is sort of confessed to at one point or another. It's something that I played with. It's very literary. I would say it's similar in nature to uh, your your memoir in that I don't see a huge audience at the moment, uh, but I think about things like Carl Ove Knausgar and what he was able to do with My Struggle. And even though they broke it up into seven books, he never really, uh, six books, pardon me. I don't think he ever really saw that uh, as a separate book. He really saw it as a very, very long memoir. Um, and he he was huge with that book from the very first volume. And I think that sometimes I struggle when I read this book, I'm, I'm going over it right now to publish it. Uh, I'm going to self-publish it. And it's hands down better than anything else I've written. There's so many layers to it. There's so much thought and intent and purpose behind it versus when I write more entertainment minded, I really don't try to put seven or eight layers into it because one, I do need to write a little bit quicker, but two, that particular audience is not appreciating layers as much typically uh, as they're appreciating uh, a rock and good mystery with uh, all the right balances and hitting the right notes of the genre. So I think that I'm torn a little bit. I would like to have time in my life to work on projects like the stories of Bogey uh, and I feel constrained by the way that the market is. There's really no place for somebody who wants to create art to make a living. And I think that there was a time in life when that was the case. I just don't necessarily know uh, everything that was going on in the background. Like you talked about Cheryl Strayed writing for the the New York Times. And I think about uh, Harper Lee, who was enmeshed in like the center of literary culture. So I know that in a lot of cases where you have somebody who makes a big splash with one book, uh, it's about who they knew and the connections they had. 
those are the things I'm thinking about. There's not necessarily a question in there, but uh, I would very much welcome your thought process if you've ever had any about that dilemma. Uh, well, I mean, I write, it's on my wall. I mean, my definition of success is I want to write the books I want when I want. And that's how I've run yeah. my business. So you say that we're not writing. I mean, I feel like my uh, my possibly not my arcane series, but certainly my crime thriller series is very, it has many, many layers and I consider it to be artistic. And so it's, I think, yeah, I, I, I don't know why you're not considering these all the same thing. We're all facets of the mm. same person. And to me, some books sell better than others, um, but I'm not going to not write them because they might not sell. Uh, I mean, I've got an idea that I want to do a photo book of gothic cathedrals i'm pretty obsessed mm -hmm. with gothic cathedrals i mean what the hell <laughs> it's completely yeah. different um and it would be very expensive to make and yet part my the artist in me that's what i want to do so over the next few years i will be well i've been taking these photos for years but i'm going to be crafting that i'll also probably be pairing that with a series around a stonemason so i'll have fiction i'll have photos so for me each creative project is a chance to create art mm -hmm. and then making money to live is mostly um, adjacent to making mm -hmm. art. So I don't write to market. Uh, I never have. Yeah. So that's not something that I've done. What I do is have multiple streams of income. So, you know, like mm -hmm. you, I have, um, I make money from my podcast. I have patrons yeah. who support me. Um, I have done speaking. I have done other things. So uh, I think, you, you know, Elizabeth Gilbert talks about this in her book, Big Magic. Don't put the pressure on your art to make money. And so I think that's maybe the question you're wrestling with. It sounds like you've separated the art side from the business side, but to me, they have to all go together. So whether you go, all right, one for them, one for me, um, or I will get a day job and write my art, you know, that there are different answers. We, I think the other rule that's been established in the indie author community is you must make a full-time living from your books, but you don't. And right. most authors don't. So, I mean, we can take that off the table completely and just write the books we love. And I think this is going to become more and more important because of mm. AI and the way Amazon's going, which is we, the to-market trope-ridden books that aren't individual uh, can be produced by machines now mm -hmm. and even more so in six months, a year, two years. What what will not change is a human connection to a human. So what I, I talk about doubling down on being human, and that mm -hmm. is here is me in all my complexity and all my weirdo weirdo stuff. And mm -hmm. I like graveyards and Gothic cathedrals and you know weird pilgrimage walks. And, and I write this stuff. And if you like it, then please buy it or tip me or whatever. And yeah. it, it all just comes together. So yeah, maybe there's a way you can mesh this together in, in some way. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I don't want to be misunderstood either. I, the, the first book, the nine lives of Marva DeLonghi in the Luke and time mysteries uh, did take me five years to write. I wrote it shortly after I graduated. Um, it does have a ton of layers. So I'm not necessarily saying that I don't layer. I just don't think of it the same way. 
Uh, I love Stephen King. There's not been, probably not been an episode of this podcast in, since the beginning where I haven't mentioned his name at some point. Um, I love how prolific he is, and his books are hugely layered. I think sometimes he's he's misunderstood. Um, James Patterson, probably less so. I don't, I don't know that I've ever read a book of his where I've thought, wow, there's a lot of complexity. I'm going to dive back into this. Uh, it feels more like a bit of a surface kind of a plot from my experience. Um, I guess more than anything, though, is I don't, it doesn't sit well with me, the idea that I can't expect my art to pay the bills. And it doesn't sit well with me that I can't take my time to develop something and still create a way to have everything that I want. Um Oh, you can have everything you want, just not yeah. all at once. Yeah, yeah, and and I, I agree with you. That's, I mean, that's a great dieting thing. Is is people will talk about in diet, you can have everything you want, uh, or you can have anything you want. You just can't have everything you want. I think it's the way that they say it in the diet community. If you want to eat a piece of cake, feel free to eat a piece of cake, but you then can't also have a package of bacon. So, I get that, and I I, I think maybe. Um, there are a, season, I think there are seasons as well. There are seasons in an yes. author career, and it may be that. I mean, we all have more seasons to come. Um, yeah. I'm clearly older than you, so I've had a few more seasons and I've been publishing for 15 years. So I've probably mm. had more publishing cycles than you. Um, and yeah, sometimes the season is I'm writing something that I want to sell well. And sometimes it's a season to write your art and not yeah. even worry about anything else. Um, yeah. So yeah, so I think it's a case of you, yeah. I think you can make different amounts of money at different times, depending on various other things. But the uh, what you have to keep in mind is the market and the readers and the zeitgeist and all of that uh, and what's going on with marketing. Like right now, as we record this in August 2023, the whole marketing ecosystem is completely upended by mm -hmm. what's happening with generative AI um, and all the platforms are changing the way they do ads. Um, you know, e email marketing is changing, everything's changing. So yeah. it's it's all in flux. And so if you, it, or the people who try to launch a book just as the pandemic hit versus mm -hmm. the people who launched six months later, I mean, we many yeah. of us had a huge year that first year of the pandemic. And then this year it's gone to hell. And I mean, you maybe you know this, mm -hmm. but an election year in the USA is a terrible year for book sales. Um, and yeah. your election next year looks like to be a big one. So yeah. um, everyone expects sales to plummet because everyone's watching the, the TV. So and th those types of things are important to think about. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah. they're out of our control as well. So I think it is, um, and David Morrell taught me this, a uh, wonderful author. Um, he wrote uh, First Blood that became Rambo. Um, mm -hmm. And he's, uh, he writes a letter to himself. So every time he's about to start a book, he writes a letter to himself, which is, why do I want to spend the time on this project? I only mm -hmm. have a short life why do I want to spend my time with this? And then he'll write it to himself. And if he has convinced himself, and it's never about the money or the marketing, it's about yeah. the creative project. Um, and so that's what I think. It, life is short. What do you want to spend your life doing? And it sounds like this artistic side of you is probably stronger. <laughs> it's, so, it's you know, double down on that. It's definitely strong. Uh, my first job, when I was coming into the the working world and getting a W-2 uh, was at a music store and I was employee of the month uh, from the first month until I finally left there because I could sell the most replay cards. It was just a loyalty program and I knew how to 
work with people and explain to them the benefits of it and be really friendly and all of those kind of things. And just over and over and over. And I remember loving the accolades of being able to sell something. Uh, and I went on to sell insurance and I've sold sunglasses and schlepped, uh, you know, plaster crosses at gas stations and whatever it might be. I love selling things. I love marketing. I love figuring out the hack and I love figuring out how to put two things together that don't seem like they go together. So I think my heart is most accurately stated as I'm the person who sees a huge gaping hole in how we're doing things right now. And I'm on a journey to figure out, is it possible to fix it? Which I think is a, a great segue into the direct sales kind of market um, because it's something new. It's something that potentially can make you independent of Amazon and not have to depend on figuring out their ever-changing algorithm. Um, it's sort of trading one master for another because then you maybe have to advertise on YouTube or Facebook or Twitter or somewhere else. Um, but what are your thoughts about direct sales? How do you see that changing? And do you think that that is a, an effective way to combat any of the issues that that you were just describing? Uh, well, first of all, it's not new. Uh, those of us who started selling eBooks Back in the day, I mean, the yeah. first ebooks I sold were downloadable PDFs. I used to sell downloadable MP3s. Uh, so I've always sold direct through various platforms, uh, one shopping cart back in the day. Um, and then over, over the years, I moved into things like Payhip and uh, recently, more recently, Shopify. Um, so I think what has changed is the technology to allow us to do much better quality print on demand. So that's the thing that convinced me to move into Shopify was really the ability to do beautiful, you know, full color hardback editions of my books. Because at heart, why, as an author, I just want to create beautiful books that people lo love. Um, that's literally what I want to do. So I couldn't really do that before. And with uh, Amazon, with Barnes & Noble, with Ingram Spark, you know, all of that, we can only really do quite basic print on demand. And so I think this is what's new, is we can do really nice products. Um, there's people doing jewellery, there's, you know, all kinds of things that you can do with your books now. So that is new. Um, in terms of what what it means for authors, I think it's just the chance to have a direct customer relationship. So hopefully everyone has their email list, which again, I've had since day one. Um, so you're connecting with people and then you're taking a bigger chunk. So again, when Amazon first started, we used to get 70% um, of the royalty. And now you have to pay for ads in some form. So you do not get 70%. You get whatever you get after you've paid for your ads. So you, obviously, as you said, you have to get traffic to your store somehow. But if you send an email and you can take 90% of that sale, then through your email list, that is a big chunk of money up front. So again, you you it's coming back to Kevin Kelly's idea of a thousand true fans, which is nearly 20 years old now as a concept, really from the sort of more beginning of the internet with uh, if you have a thousand fans who will buy everything you do, you can pretty much do what you like. No, you, you will not make a killing, but you'll make a living. And I think for most of us, it is about making beautiful books, writing what we want to write and making a decent living um, without having to do things we don't want to do. <laughs> I think that's yeah. quite important too. So I think the other benefit with selling direct is that you get the money faster. So you get the customer relationship, you get the money faster. Uh, when I launch a book on Shopify, I get the money 
same day um, yeah. rather than 60 days, 90 days, or with traditional publishers, it might be six months or mm-hmm. a year or whatever. Um, yeah, so I think in terms of swapping masters, I don't, Shopify is more like WordPress. It's a platform. Mm-hmm. So, but of course you still need traffic to it. So like you, obviously I have podcasts. Um, I use meta ads um, to Shopify. I use my email list. They, those are my main things. And obviously I have also had a YouTube channel for 15 years and all of that kind of thing. So it's all the usual things we do, but if you're trying to send traffic to Amazon, you direct all the traffic there with all your links all over your website. And if you're selling direct, you're sending your links to your main store. Do you think that there are people who are a better fit for direct um, and people who who would be better served um, by being exclusive to Amazon to take advantage of of KU and other things like that? I know that um, you feel strongly that there's no prescriptive anything here. So I'm not asking you to be prescriptive. I'm just asking, do you think that there is an avatar of a kind of person who might be better served by one model over the other? Uh, Yeah. I mean, I think you have to want to run a business to run your own e-commerce store. And that's basically what selling direct is. Um, You do have to want to run an e-commerce store and many people don't want to do that. So I think that is also a journey that some people will go through is they might start off by, you know, just uploading an ebook um, to Amazon or to Kobo or Apple or whatever. And then over time, if they get the bug, because a lot of people only have, think they only have a one book in them. And then sometimes they're like, oh, I think I'll write another one and, and yeah. then another one and you get the bug. And I think if you get the bug and you, you leave your job, like I left my job and this is your life, <laughs> then building your own store is uh, for me an important part of that. And also I I look at I've just built jfpenbooks.com, which is my fiction store. And I've also got creativepenbooks.com, which is my nonfiction store. And I see these as my next 15 years. So for the last 15 years, I've been running my business in in one way. And for the next 15 years, I'll be running it in a different way. Mm. And I will still do all the creative side the same way, but I will be changing the way I sell. So it will be Kickstarter, Shopify, and then all the other stores. Uh, I'll still be on the other stores. It just won't be my focus. It'll be Kickstarter and Shopify. So again, in terms of who it suits, you have to want to run a business. You have to want to deal with your readers. And many, many authors do not want to do that. So it's possible that we will move to a place where the you know small publishers like us, independent authors who are also publishers, sort of move into these uh, Shopify stores and then the traditional publishers have their stuff. So it's almost like we're in this splintering where publishing was maybe a hundred years ago, which was it was full of many, many, many small presses that mm. over time got eaten up and eaten up and eaten up. And of course, that's what's happening. Many indie authors get bought in entirety by mm. traditional publishers. Um, so yeah. I don't know, I think we're in an interesting time in publishing, but it's very clear that there's um, there are changes afoot. Yeah, it wasn't so long ago that people thought uh, indie bookstores were going to be dead because of Barnes and Noble and uh, Monopoly building. And uh, it was the, the small bookstores, the indie bookstores that survived the pandemic better and are having kind of a, a resurgence in many ways. Um, 
it's cool to see that happening with individual authors as well. I, I still, I'm also uh, not in a state of comfort about um, certain genres seem to work better for the self-publishing method. Um, anything literary, anything like poetry is going to be really tough self-publishing because one of your biggest and most avid uh, people groups that that consume that type of literature also believe that self-publishing is a hack. So uh, oh, I completely strange. disagree with you there. Oh, okay. Absolutely completely disagree with you. I mean, for example, Virginia Woolf and her husband ran their own independent press because yeah. Virginia Woolf said, you can't make any money in publishing, so we might right. as well have our own publisher. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, William Blake was, uh, you right. know, a self-publisher. The, self-publishing is where yeah. artists start. And then you mentioned poetry, uh, you know, obviously one of the biggest poets in the indie space is Pierre Gentil, who makes seven figure plus from his poetry books on Shopify. So, um, you know, there are plenty of poets. In fact, poetry is doing incredibly well right now. And Ingram Spark, uh, in fact, ship a ton of poetry. It's doing, because it's so visual, it's doing really well on platforms like TikTok and Instagram. So over the last few years, I think the assumptions that we've had around these books have shifted um, and what you might find is the books that, or even, I mean, I know children's authors and literary fiction authors who do much better using Amazon ads, because again, other people are not paying for ads on that type of genre. So again, it's a case of questioning things. Uh, as Becca Syme says, question the premise. What you think is true may not be true. <laughs> yeah. um, so, and, and also, where did where did that information come from because like the seven figure poets that's a thing that's been a thing for several years now so um yeah i mean do you write poetry are you someone who does poetry uh yeah i mean i i I used to yep i i did used to write poetry i haven't written poetry in in quite a while um yeah, so I mean, in that case, I, I mean, I would have a look at have a look at Pierre Gentil, for example. Yeah. Have a look at um, has it Morgan Richard? Someone uh, does in, in, again incredibly well. <laughs> so I mean, they're, they're, I mean, it's made me think. Oh, I wish I wrote poetry because it would be much easier to sell. So there, there you go. There's an interesting dichotomy. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for agreeing to be on my show. I I have nowhere near the audience you do, and my expertise is so inferior to yours. And I I just have not had the opportunity to experience the literary world through uh, the the world that you have. And so I'm so grateful for you giving my listeners the opportunity to to listen to your knowledge and, and grow from it. And I really appreciate you. Will you please tell listeners where they can find more out about you, including your your wonderful podcast? Oh, well, thank you. And what I would say again is you have more cycles than me ahead of you. So where I am now, you will be as the years go by. So what what year are you in now? Like six or something? Was that? I've been doing this for 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> but self-publishing, you've not been self-publishing. Oh, no, before. I had a literary agent and I was really waiting on that and being patient and going the traditional route. But um I got an offer to publish traditionally and they weren't going to publish till 2025. And I was tired of waiting because like I said, I've been doing this for 20 years, closely researching and paying attention to trends and, you know, really trying to make it. It's hard out here, but uh, I, I'm so excited at how well you've done. And again, just your your expertise here. And so thank you. 
Mm, well, I, th I think this is probably another tip. I know we're closing, but there are the knowledge that you have in one form of publishing is completely different to the other, to the knowledge you need in a different kind. So Definitely. I think start your new cycle from when you actually started self-publishing. Um, but yeah, if people want to hear more from me, the Creative Pen podcast, Pen with a double N, which is uh, 14 years I've been podcasting in the self-publishing space now um, and creativepenbooks.com for my books for writers. Well, thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Take care. Thank you for listening to TRBM. The theme music was provided by the ever-talented Christopher Talon. And hey, if you liked what you heard, share this show with other readers because what's the point of telling stories if nobody's listening?